What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the sapphic speak easy. <laughs> I am Dr. Money and, uh, you know, these these uh, sapphic streets are treacherous. And <laughs> I feel like this whole episode, I'm going to be talking about that. But, woo, what a time, what a time to be not a man and attracted to women. Woo, what a time. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and drop the intro so we can get on into this episode. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sister, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily because baby you love, you love. All right. So if you are listening to this live as I record, that means you are a beautiful patron. And I thank you so much for supporting the work of Queer Walk the Podcast. So everything you hear and see over here in these Queer Walk streets comes from me. And so your monetary donations are much, much appreciated because I would like to build support, especially for um, for the social media because I'm not good at that. <laughs> so if you would like to become a patron to continue to see Queer Walk the Podcast grow and continue, head on over to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D, I have some suggested donations there, but you can give as much or as little as your pockets will allow. Or if you don't want to do a monthly donation, you can hit us up on the Cash App, which is dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. You can find Queer Walk the Podcast, all the places where you listen to your favorite podcasts, everywhere from Spotify to SoundCloud. And if you would like to follow the podcast, you can head on over to Instagram at QueerWalkPod, P-O-D. And we're QueerWalkPod on Twitter, too. If you would like to support QueerWalk in other ways, you can rate the podcast on whatever uh, platform you're listening right now. Review us. Leave a review. We haven't had a a new review in a really long time. Uh, You can request a QueerWalk of the Week or um, a topic. Or repost the episodes, retweet when you see me on the Twitter streets, or reply. You can use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast, or send me an email or a curved chronicle at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Okay, I'm going to move it on along to the QueerWalk, QueerWalk, QueerWalk of the Week segment. And the Queer Walk of the Week slash Queer Pock of the Week segment is just a segment where I shout out, highlight, celebrate, uplift some queer person of color or queer woman of color who is doing something dope, who has done something dope, or who I just think y'all should know about. 
And today is no different. So there's actually two <laughs> Queer Walks of the Week this week. Um, Queer Walks of the Week. <laughs> this week goes to Councilwoman Erica Hilton and Councilwoman Duda Salibert. And I apologize if I pronounce anybody's name um, incorrectly in this segment. If my uh, Portuguese trans... Uh, my Portuguese pronunciation of um, names is trash. I apologize. <laughs> um, so Councilwoman Erica Hilton and Councilwoman uh, Duda Salabert are the first trans women to be elected to National Congress in Brazil. And anybody who's been following Brazilian politics in like the past few years know that this is a huge uh, victory, not just because they're the first trans women elected uh, to National Congress, but because uh, Bolsonaro has been like an awful anti-LGBTQ leader of the country for the past few years, right? So it's a huge deal that they won their elections. Um, So I was reading an article written about them on them. (laughs) And I'll put the link in the description to that article. But um, 324 out queer folks ran for office in Brazil during this October election cycle. And 18 of them actually won their elections. Um, With Erica and Duda being uh, two of those. Uh, And just for some context too... Uh, Brazil has the largest number of reported anti-trans killings of any country in the world. Um, And they've they've like been a very dangerous country for trans folks for like for the past few years. So um, uh, back in 2021, last year, a report from um, the European Trans Rights Organization reported that there were 375 um, anti-trans killings worldwide between October 2020 and September 2021. Half of those happened in Brazil. So, that, like, Brazil is the the most dangerous country for trans folks by far, right? So, um, yeah. So it's a huge deal for them to have uh, been elected to Congress. So Erica, um, a black trans woman out of Brazil, won her election after she campaigned uh, on uh, the fight for education, housing access, and general rights for LGBTQ people in the country. She talked about, um, I saw in one um, video on Twitter where she was talking about, and it was translated, so... (laughs) You know, I'm going off the the translation, the Google translations. But what I got from um, her speech was, you know, that we're disproportionately impacted by substance use. We're disproportionately impacted by having to do survival sex. We're disproportionately impacted by homelessness because of transphobia. And so she, like, ran on this platform to get access to housing and education so that trans folks have more options. And she won. So shout out to Erica. (laughs) And then joining Erica, Duda Salabert ran with the Democratic Labor Party and was elected councilwoman to represent the state of Minas Gerias. I think that's how you say it. Minas Gerias. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> oh, and something that I thought was dope is that Duda received the highest number of votes that any candidate had ever received in her state's history in her win. So <laughs> she she ain't just win. She won by a landslide, right? <laughs> so I just, I thought that was super dope to make history in two ways. So shout out to Erica and uh, Duda for being the first trans women elected to National Congress in Brazil. Also out of Brazil... My friend sent me this clip. Um, So this is like an honorary mention in the Queer Rock of the Week segment. So my friend sent me this clip of these uh, two Afro-Brazilian women. Uh, One had just got voted off of Big Brother Brazil. And like it was like a, a, a Sunday talk show that she was on for like the reunion of Big Brother Brazil. And then her wife. Uh, Afro-Brazilian rapper comes out and like sings this song to her and the song is a bop. You know, I don't, I don't understand Portuguese, but the song is so cute. Like, I love it anyway, even though I don't know what's happening in it. I feel it, you know? (laughs) So I just wanted to shout them out because that video, they're both tall. (laughs) Shout out, shout out to all, um, the tall girls out there, you know, five, eight and up. (laughs) <laughs> they're both really tall they both have you know like real I don't know just like really cute styles that I thought was adorable they're both femme and people act like you know two femmes can't be together or like don't take that seriously um they're both of their hair was cute it was just it was just like an amazing cute sweet moment and then I saw a tweet that talked about um that being like the biggest audience family show in Brazil. And so this is a really huge thing that these two black lesbians are like embracing each other, kissing each other, singing to each other about how much they love each other on this uh, TV show. I think it was called, I think the TV show is called um, Domingao, which is like Big Sunday, I think. Yeah, so their names are Brunna and Lumilla. So shout out to Brunna and Lumilla for giving me just a cute moment this week. Uh, a heartwarming moment that I really needed, you know? I really needed to see some black lesbian love. Um, so shout out to them out of Brazil. And uh, Lumilla just dropped another song with uh, Sean Paul and somebody else when I was looking her up. So I'm, I know who about to be on my Spotify. <laughs> so... Yeah, so just huge, huge love to all the Afro-Brazilian queer women doing amazing things, you know, (laughs) and brightening my week up. Thank y'all. It's time for that Black Feminist Healing. This, that, real shit, not make believe. Come on, money, please help me get my shit together. I listen to the moment when times get rough. Put all my headphones, turn it all the way up. Who's gonna give you grounding tips? There's nobody better. Oh, money, help me get my shit together. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna move it on along to the Mental Moment with Money segment. And the Mental Moment with Money is the segment where I, Dr. Money, 
try to give us some quick tips, um, hacks, break down some mental health uh, principle or uh, theory that will help us with our wellness. Yeah. And I'm going to try to not go into a rant about um, teletherapy at the beginning of this mental moment. (laughs) I do want to say a little bit about it. um, And then I'm just going to move y'all into like the mental moment. All right. So this mental moment, I want to talk about the ABCs of affordable therapy. And y'all should already know that ABC stands for stuff. (laughs) But the ABCs of affordable therapy. And before I talk about that, I want to talk about something that I think a lot of uh, therapists on YouTube, at least, have been talking about for a minute, like since before the pandemic. Um, So I would like to just add my voice there. Woo, this is why I will probably never get sponsored. Okay, okay, let's do it. So um, before the pandemic, or maybe early pandemic, um, a lot of folks were suggesting that I move on to like one of these app-based therapy things in order to like stay afloat during the pandemic. Because I, at that time, I really didn't want to start my own private practice. I since have started my own private practice. Shout out to me, Combahee Therapy. <laughs> but this was back when um, I had just defended. My confidence was at an all-time low <laughs> when it came to promoting myself as a therapist. Yeah, and so folks suggested to me these app-based therapies. And so... You might be familiar with a lot of them and have heard ads for a lot of them, like Schmetter Belp, (laughs) Um, Mock Base, you know, like, you know, the apps. Um, uh, The other one, uh, the, the one where you can talk to psychiatrists, you know, all those kind of like therapy apps where you can text message, video call phone call your therapist, you know, all of those. People were suggesting them to me. And I was like, okay, dope. I never heard of this. Um, I've done virtual therapy before, like even before 2020. So I was like, uh, let me see what's up. And then I looked at their terms of service and I was like, oh, hell to the no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so first of all, it sort of sets you up to be an on-call therapist where folks feel like they have, they have like, access and you will respond um 24/7 and that's a lot that's a lot <laughs> but i think the primary thing that uh kind of turned me away from it and what this is what i want to talk about the most here with mental moment is the fee for session <laughs> so Back when I was being severely underpaid by a, a white therapist who I was working at her practice, she paid me $35 per session. Now, at that time, I was not, I did not have a full caseload. I was seeing anywhere from like eight to 14 sessions a week. Um, if y'all do the math, <laughs> I was not living on nothing, right? Thank goodness my rent was only $800 because I could like pay my rent barely. And I had like, you know, this old used car that I was driving. (laughs) But 
But $35 a session was not paying nobody's nothing. I I definitely didn't have no savings. Um, If it wasn't for like my friends and stuff, (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of things or cover a lot of living expenses, Uh, the fee for, for sessions. So a lot of people ask, why does therapy cost what it costs? And before I give y'all some tips on affordable therapy, I want to explain why therapists charge what they charge for sessions. So um, $35 an hour if you work a a typical job might sound like a whole lot of money. (laughs) That's because if you clock, you know, like back when I was clocking in for jobs, like I get paid for the day, right? It doesn't matter if I'm like... What did they used to say to us that way? If you got time to lean, you got time to clean, right? When, when I was working for NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority. But I, I got paid for all the time I was clocked in at work, right? That is not the case when you are a fee-for-service therapist. Not even when I was working at a hospital. I was paid for sessions I had. So if I had two sessions that day, It didn't matter if I was booked for six sessions that day and four people canceled and two people showed up. I only get paid for the sessions I see. They call it billable hours, right? Like you only get your billable hours. If you hit a certain number of billable hours, you might get a bonus, blah, blah, blah. But you only get paid for sessions you see. You do not get paid for all the time it takes you to write a treatment plan. (laughs) You do not get paid for all the time it takes you to do notes. You do not get paid for all the time it takes to contact clients, right? So like, hey, you are right. You didn't show up for session. Okay, let's talk about next week, blah, 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 all that, right? All of that work is not paid. So $35 for a therapy session ends up being like horrifically low (laughs) to pay a therapist. Um, And uh, Schmetter Smelp, that app specifically, I know because I looked into it, um... They they pay anywhere from like $35 to $47 per session to the therapist. Even $47 is not enough, y'all. <laughs> like on a good week, um, on a good week, you might see 20 clients. It's just like not enough to sustain yourself. I'm about to tell y'all all the things I have to pay for in order to stay a therapist. <laughs> so um so I think the first thing we all know, basic uh, housing. So like I have to I have to have a place to stay. <laughs> I have to um, pay bills at that place where I stay. Um, y'all know the cost of rent is not cheap. Average cost of rent, I think, in the United States uh, hit $2,000 during um, this last year. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, having a place to stay and all the costs that come along with that. Also, I have to pay everything myself as a therapist. I think people have like this idea that there are like funds or grants or something backing therapists who work at therapy practices. It all comes from billing, (laughs) boo-boo. There is no magic money that is sustaining our work. So uh, me and my private practice, I have to pay for my... um, Wi-Fi, first of all, like I got to have top-notch Wi-Fi because if my Wi-Fi goes down, I can't work. Um, That means having a reliable laptop as well. I have to pay for malpractice insurance. Depending on the malpractice insurance you have, 
It can cost anywhere from $200 to $400 a year. I have to pay uh, for um, my my um, electronic medical record system myself, uh, depending on which medical record system you use, like Theranest, Simple Practice, um, all of those. It can cost between $40 and $90 a month. Student loan payments <laughs> are all on me. You know, private practices aren't. You know, I didn't even qualify for the New York State um, healthcare provider thing where if you were providing healthcare through the pandemic, you got like an extra tax thing. Therapists don't qualify for that. So so even I can't even get like incentives there, right? I if you have been a longtime listener of Queer Walk, you know how much it costs me to get licensed in New York State. It costs $725 just to submit the application. Then it costs another $200 to take the licensure exam. Um, And then you actually have to pay them to like print and send you your license, even when they approve it. I think it's like $35. I had to repeat that process in Pennsylvania to be licensed here. (laughs) You have to maintain your LLC. You have to pay, um, you have to pay, uh, what do you call that person? An accountant to do your taxes because... You don't work a W-2. You're essentially a gig worker. So um, you got to make sure <laughs> that, your, that your taxes is on point. Or I've, I've heard horror stories of um, therapists who have had to pay upwards of $7,000 um, to the IRS because, you know, we're gig workers, essentially. I also have to pay for continue education credits every year as a therapist and continue education credits are not cheap. People charge anywhere between uh, $50 to $150 for an hour of continued education credit. And in order to keep my license, I have to have 32 continued education credits a year. So yeah, it adds up. I also have to cover all my own health care, right? So I have to pay. Nobody covers my benefits. (laughs) Like, even when I was working in a in a large uh, practice with other therapists, you have to cover the own, your own costs for healthcare, your own costs for vision and dental, all that stuff, right? It is essentially like gig work economy over here, okay? So when I think about a therapist like me, um, who has a PhD, <laughs> who has the student loans to prove that, you know, <laughs> the cost for session is literally like the cost we need to sustain ourselves in order to do the work. Um, I can tell y'all, like, I pretty much break even every month. <laughs> like, I don't have a car right now because I can't afford to have a car. It's really important for me to keep my prices um, at market rate or lower. So what that means is like the average cost that insurance companies will reimburse in that state that's what I want to be charging for my sessions could I charge $250 $300 per session for my services absolutely I know therapists who are, who don't even have my credentials who charge that but that's not why I got into this work you know like I did it to help my people and so it's really important for me to keep my my full fee at market rate. Oh, another thing, I don't take insurance, right? So that's another reason why I like to keep my rates 
at market rate. So currently market rate in Pennsylvania is $150, right? So I don't take insurance because insurance companies don't be paying therapists, y'all. I worked at a place one time where Excellus was like the big insurance company in the area. So 70% of our clients had Excellus. Every month we had to fight with Excellus to be paid. First of all, they pay you three months after the dates of service. What that means is <laughs> um, today is November 17th. If I build for a session today, I would not get paid until February. Is that November, December, December, January? Yep, February. I would not get paid until February for all the sessions I did today. Can any of y'all afford to work today and then get paid in February? <laughs> like, it is ridiculous, right? Um, and also, some insurance companies do not reimburse therapists your full rate. They will reimburse you 80%. They will reimburse you 60%. But they won't reimburse you your full rate. So what often happens is um, you the, the client ends up paying the difference, right? So that's why you might see a therapist and your copay is like $40, $60, $20. That's the difference be- between what the insurance will re- reimburse and what the, the therapist rate is. However, semicolon, you pay your copay, right? Usually, I I hardly ever have problems with clients paying me, right? So the client will pay the copay, and then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting to get paid from the insurance company. So I've done a session for like, for example, let's use market rate, $150, thinking I'm going to get paid $150 for that session, and I really only got the $40 copay from my client. (laughs) for three months so yeah y'all so I know that was a lot but I just kind of wanted to give context as to why therapists charge what they charge and why these um app-based services feel really like predatory to me when it comes to therapy Uh, there's a youtuber she's a therapist I'm pretty sure she's an mft too her name is mickey atkins Um, I'll put a link to her YouTube channel in the description of this episode, but she has done, I mean, she been calling out these app based, based therapy services for a while. She's done a lot of work, um, around like, you know, therapists being paid, (laughs) like the, that the work we do is necessary and that we just need to be paid in order to do it. And I, I, when I say we need to be paid, I mean, I think y'all know me, but like, I don't believe that all of that cost needs to be coming out of y'all pockets if you want to go to therapy, right? Like, I think there's more than enough money in, um, in like, health budgets or, like, uh, take some of the money from, like, the insurance companies and redistribute it for, for, ins- for anybody who wants to actually do therapy to be able to do it, um, when I say, like, you know, we need to be paid, it's definitely not me saying y'all y'all need to come up off that paper and pay us. But I think I just wanted to give a little bit of, like, behind the curtain of you might see a therapist's full fee and be like, why the hell? Why the hell are they charging? This is why. <laughs> and, yeah, I can't work a 40-hour work week, y'all. I, can you imagine if I... 
even on days where I have back-to-back sessions, um, and I try not to have more than five sessions a day, whew, it's a lot. So yeah, check out Mickey Atkins on YouTube. Um, uh, she seems to me to be a dope ass, uh, at least like anti the establishment of mental health. I don't know if she would consider herself radical, but, um, yeah, therapist. So, whew. Okay. Now that we got through that, <laughs> any questions? No. <laughs> um, I wanted to to give y'all the ABCs of affordable therapy. I know I have done this before, but I couldn't find it in any of my show notes. So I'm thinking that I did this as a mental moment before I started taking good show notes. Like <laughs> I think I did it back when I used to just be off the top of my head recording in my living room. So now that I take, you know, more, uh, more strategic notes on the podcast, I wanted to get this in here. The ABCs of affordable of affordable therapy. Here are four ways that you can reduce the cost of therapy without using one of these app-based um, therapy things. So A is ask for slide and scale. B is bi-weekly sessions. C is check with your insurance about reimbursement. And D is drop by a university near you. Okay, I'm going to go through these ABCs. So A, ask for slide and scale. I tell this to people all the time, but my full fee, meaning my full rate uh, for therapy with me, Dr. Money, <laughs> is $150, right? So if you could afford to pay $150 for a session, meaning that you easily, you easily meet all your like, needs for living. Um, you can pay for all of your whatever, whatever. And this is like extra money after that. Or maybe you even have like a family network that can support you. Um, other places that you can draw money from and it feels easy to you. My full fee is $150, right? However, semicolon, <laughs> Out of my uh, caseload, I currently have about 21, 22 active clients. Um, only seven of them are full fee. So ask the therapist about slide and scale. Just because my full fee is $150 doesn't mean that you have to pay $150 to do therapy with me. And for every therapist I know, especially every black queer one, this is the case, right? So... Um, I was just talking to uh, one of my friends here in Philly, Steph, who is an incredible, incredible therapist. If anybody is looking for one and I can't see y'all cause we friends, <laughs> but um, yeah. So Steph was talking about like how all of their full, all of their free spots are full right now. I was like, same. So we both, I think have like four free slots at a time. So that means I, I usually try to keep, who's paying what for therapy on a bell curve. So if I have six or seven full fee clients, I can have three to four clients who don't pay anything at all. I can have um, 
a couple clients at the $75 to $80 range. I can have most of my clients around the $90 to $125 range. So you see the bell curve? It's like from free to full fee. And my full fee folks know this when they work with me, right? Like they know that they're paying it forward so somebody can have a free slot. Yeah, so... I encourage y'all to, if you see a therapist that you so deeply want to work with, um, and the only thing that's keeping you from reaching out to them is the cost, reach out to that therapist and ask them if they have any uh, room in their sliding scale spots. Um, So yes, that's A. Another way to make therapy more affordable is bi-weekly sessions. So the B is bi-weekly sessions. Y'all know I love bi-weekly over here. Uh, twice a month. (laughs) Contrary to popular belief, I don't think you need to be in therapy every single damn day to be healing. (laughs) Goodness gracious. I have clients ask me if we can do like twice a week sessions and I'm like, child, when when are you going to have time to like integrate everything we just talked about? (laughs) Like, If you are constantly coming back to session. I think it's just as important to breathe and step away from therapy as it is to be processing, right? So take a break, take a break. Um, (laughs) Unless, you know, like there's something, there's something like really going on at the moment. Like I'm thinking about if you feeling like a, um, like really unsafe and feeling like you're having a lot of scary, unaliving thoughts, of course, maybe you would need a higher level of care, and want to meet multiple times a week. But if you are like good and life is just lifing, <laughs> you need time to integrate what you're working on in therapy. I would encourage folks that, you know, if life is just lifing and you have a really good support network outside of therapy to consider doing therapy twice a month instead of every week. Um, usually I start with my clients like weekly, and then I move to bi-weekly because of what I just said to you. I think we need time away. When you start to come to therapy and it's like, yeah, not much to talk about. Same as last time. You probably need space away. You need time to live life, breathe air, and somehow get there, right? <laughs> yeah, so space away can make therapy a lot more affordable, Um, I only do bi-weekly sessions with my therapist because that's what my schedule will allow for. I just can't, I can't do uh, therapy every week with my schedule. And I love my therapist. I would love to see her every week, but child, I can't, (laughs) I can't do it every week. Yeah. So try out bi-weekly sessions. Uh, Another thing is because I have bi-weekly clients, I, I more, I more likely have bi-weekly openings than weekly openings for new people who want to work with me. So that's another thing in reaching out to therapists and they might say, oh, sorry, I'm full. If you propose bi-weekly sessions, just see, just see their response because I can't take on anybody weekly right now. I am full. (laughs) But if you could do the off weeks of one of my other clients who does every other week, my schedule would be the same, right? So, yeah. C is check with your insurance about reimbursement. So a lot of my clients do this. I think I have like 
four or five current folks who I give them what's called a super bill. So while I don't take insurance, I do bill them, right? (laughs) Um, So I give my clients a document with all of the payments that they paid. It has all the fancy codes that insurance companies need to have in order to say, oh yeah, you was doing something. My client submits that form to the insurance company. The insurance company um, mails them out a check. Just that simple. So while insurance companies be pay- be playing in therapist face, you know, <laughs> be not wanting to panel and credential therapists, you as the subscriber to their insurance, they want to keep you happy because they want to keep taking your money. Um, so they'll reimburse you. I haven't had a lot of folks who have had issue being reimbursed by insurance companies. Essentially, I am like an out-of-network provider, right? So you pay for it, and then your insurance company will get you back. So even though reimbursement kind of sucks because you have to have the money up front, you'll get a check back for what you paid. So you kind of break even, right? So if you can, if you can afford to do that, most of the major insurance companies in the area do that. And last but not least, D, drop by a university near you. Okay, so I should have said this up front with like the issue I have with these uh, app-based therapy companies as well. Um, so most universities that have uh, graduate counseling programs, so universities that give like PhDs in psychology, or master's degrees in school counseling, well, maybe not school counseling, but um, clinical mental health counseling, marriage and family therapy, um, they tend to have on-campus clinics where the students in the program can earn hours towards their um, internship, right? So, these clinics on campuses where the students are um, still earning their hours for graduation tend to be either super low cost. Like when I was working out in Washington, I think the most somebody paid for therapy at the on-campus clinic was $25 a session. Um, so they tend to be super low cost or free, totally free, because they need folks to come in for students to work with. Now... I think because of a lot of misunderstanding about how people become therapists, people are really hesitant to not work with a therapist. People are really hesitant to work with a therapist who isn't licensed yet, right? So I say it all the time on here, licensure is a scam. (laughs) Licensure does not tell you anything about how competent a therapist is, how long a therapist has been um, practicing, like, again, contrary to popular belief, because y'all, I got some stories about people popping up with a license who ain't done nah hour, okay? (laughs) And also, y'all have heard my horror stories of white women refusing to sign my hours and me having to start from scratch, right? So according to the state, I've done 3,000 hours, but... (laughs) My black ass been working for, (laughs) I done done 7,000 hours, you know? So licensure is a scam. I just want to say that. Um, It's a a hierarchical, uh, (laughs) money-driven process that states use to keep 
usually um, marginalized folks from um, being uh, accredited as therapists. Um, so I say all that to say, don't sleep on an intern therapist, right? <laughs> and this is another gripe that I have with these app-based therapy companies is that they don't allow um, non-licensed therapists um, at least Schmetterschmelp <laughs> because when I was checking into it, they don't allow non-licensed therapists to be on the app. When when I tell y'all it would have been a game changer to make any money for sessions as an intern, <laughs> all that time as an intern, uh, students are not being paid for their work as therapists. Um, and that's jacked up, right? Um, actually, if you take out student loans, you're actually going into debt to do therapy for people, right? So um, I think that intern therapists should absolutely be paid for their work. And a lot of times, the students who are in a therapy program are much more diverse than the list of licensed therapists in a state, right? <laughs> and that's because of the gap that I just talked about, right? It costs a lot to be um, licensed. I know in social work, they're doing a lot of research on how biased the licensure exam is, right? Like the gap between the number of white folks who pass that exam and folks of color who pass that exam. It's just jacked up. I could talk for hours about how jacked up the licensure process is. Um, so you might have, in a cohort of 20, you might have seven folks of color in a graduate program who are intern therapists, but in a cohort of 20 licensed therapists, you might have one person of color, you know, same thing for queer folks, you know, <laughs> like you might have all these queer folks in the graduate program and then it comes time to be licensed and maybe one of them is licensed, right? Um, I saw this graph that really disheartened me that only, only 4% of licensed therapists are black. Uh, so, so that tells you about licensure, right? Um, so an, another reason why I think you shouldn't sleep on intern therapists is because they usually have more diverse, uh, backgrounds. And I am of the mind that you cannot teach cultural competence. <laughs> Either folks see you as human or they don't. Um, and so I think it really matters the identity of therapists, even if y'all don't share the same identity, if they know what it's like to navigate <laughs> the world with, um, marginalized identities, I think they might be uh, better suited to be culturally competent. Also, 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 my last thing about not sleeping on interns. As a marriage and family therapist intern, and I'm always gonna <laughs> shout out marriage and family therapy as a concept. <laughs> Maybe not in practice, but um, I, we first of all, we are trained to see problems as relational and systemic as opposed to individual and inside of you. And second of all, we get so much training on how to do therapy, right? So so part of um, going to see an intern therapist, uh, specifically an MFT, there is at least two levels of supervision on their work. Um, 
meaning that there's at least two other therapists who have been doing this much longer than them who are making sure that they provide you with competent care. You go to somebody in private practice, they might not be being supervised. They might not be being checked at all (laughs) in no kind of way, right? So with an intern therapist, you have their on-site supervisor. That on-site supervisor usually has a supervisor, right? (laughs) There's levels and levels and levels of like, is this therapy competent, right? Um, And if something goes wrong, there's a chain of command, right? So if you're struggling with something, your intern therapist is the first line of defense, but their supervisor is on call. That's the second line of defense. Their supervisor's supervisor is also (laughs) in on that case. That's the third line of defense. You essentially have three therapists making sure that you get adequate care, when you go to an on-campus clinic. So even though you might be looking at the therapist like, mm, they kind of young, mm, they still earning their hours, I promise you that that is, that is good care, okay? As someone who has been a student in these programs and someone who has been a professor and a clinical supervisor in these programs, I think that's some of the most powerful work that's happening because you just have so many therapists making sure that each case is being handled effectively. Woo, that was a lot. I didn't think I was going to say that much, (laughs) but I think I've been thinking a lot about this. So I hope these ABCs of affordable therapy really helped or or provided some perspective for y'all on ways to reduce the cost of therapy until the revolution comes and um, therapists are just given monthly stipends and people can just show up to therapy when they want it, right? That's that's my goal. So the ABCs of affordable therapy. A, ask for sliding scale. B, bi-weekly sessions. C, check with your insurance about reimbursement. And D, drop by a university near you. They may have a clinic that is free or low cost. All right, y'all, I'm going to move it on along to the topic segment. And the topic segment is the segment of the podcast where I just talk about anything I want to talk about that doesn't really fit into the other segments. It's like the queer potpourri. <laughs> it's just a little mix of everything. Um, so the reason why the episode is late this week is because I was traveling. I went to uh, the National Women's Studies Association Conference Um, which is a conference that I love. Um, NWSA has uh, been like the women's and gender studies of conferences, you know? So like the the women's center on your campus, the LGBT center on your campus, the the, uh, gender studies program on your campus, they um, probably all send somebody to NWSA. And also what I love about NWSA is not everybody there is uh, an academic, right? So a lot of folks are theory makers outside of the academy. So whether I met a DJ, (laughs) um, I met, uh, yeah, and I was there. Y'all know I'm not in the academy no more. Um, Full-time therapist over here at the conference. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... 
I met uh, Victor, who's a longtime listener <laughs> at the conference. A lot of students go to NWSA also. Um, so, yeah. So, that I just love it as a conference space. Uh, they always have amazing books. And I just learned, I think this is my fourth time going to NWSA. I just learned that the freaking books get discounted to like as the conference goes on. So my silly behind, you know, waltzing in there on the first day of the conference buying full price books. <laughs> I will be definitely hitting up the vendors on the last day from now on. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I was just excited to meet like all the folks that I met at the conference this year. I got to see some of my friends that I haven't seen since the pandemic kicked off so I got to see my friend Christian who I have like I haven't seen since 2020 so that was beautiful yeah so NWSA was cool as usual but I did notice a difference um it felt a lot more white than it has in the past um I think NWSA has always been like a very of color conference experience for me and I I just, I totally correlate that with the pandemic. I think the pandemic hit folks of color harder. It, you know, uh, it impacted our like pockets and our jobs a lot more than, uh, than non-racialized folks. And so I think, you know, the people who had the free time to, to like take off or who still had the money to like come to a conference um, were white folks. So it seemed a lot more white than it usually does to me yeah so I did notice that there were you know more white folks than I've usually seen at NWSA um and then something that continued to stand out to me so I I tried to go to like every panel that said anything about like lesbian sapphic queer women bi women something you know because I want to see what folks are talking about when it comes to our identities like um These are people who are, like, creating knowledge, writing papers, publishing about our identity. So I want to see what folks be talking about. I went to all these panels. One, I left, um, and I told my friends after. I was just like, I was just so upset because based on everything they were talking about, I thought there were going to be a lot of, like, women of color presenting. They were all white. Um, And... I was one of two women of color in the room and that did not feel good. That didn't feel good. So like for them to be doing a panel on like, uh, like I don't even remember now. I should have had my notes in front of me, but like black lesbian, um, solidarity, uh, tactics throughout the years and stuff. And they're just talking about black lesbians in theory, and it I, it just bothered me. It just bothered me. I'm just like, do you even notice that we're not in the room? Do you notice? Um, and so I actually think that I want to write <laughs> an essay in the style of like, you know, a June Jordan or Audre Lorde about like, here's just what I'm feeling about this. You know, I don't got no citations about it. Here's some shit I experienced. And, you know. NWSA is also the conference that Audre Lorde cussed out, right? So, so it's like, um, I think I'm still feeling a little bit of that anger. It's like, everybody's talking about queer women of color. 
and we are just like absent from the room. And what also bothers me is like, you can deliver this paper about black lesbian, whatever, whatever, about like uh, queer women of color, whatever, whatever. And then you get your ass up from presenting that paper and do not acknowledge any queer women of color <laughs> at the conference. Y'all know what I mean? It's like the same, the same white queers who would not talk to me on campus, give me the time of day at, you know, at like a social gathering, um, who literally don't notice our absence are like writing about us. And so that just like, Oh, it irritated me. I feel like it bothered me for the entirety of the conference. <laughs> like, like, why do you feel like you can write about this? And I know why, right? Because um, the Academy makes us believe that if we don't have the identity, then we're somehow more credible to do research on it because we're quote unquote objective. <sighs> I mean, um women of color have have like shot this to shit for years i i don't even have to be innovative here you know um objectivity is a, a white supremacist myth <laughs> like anything anything you are observing your lens is being projected onto it right like who you are your subjectivity, your uh, positionality in the world is there. You can't erase that shit. Um, but I know that the Academy tells people that they can and that they are somehow like um, a pure, unbiased observer if they don't have the uh, identities that they're studying. And that that got on my nerves. So so I think I'm I'm just going to... Submit a whole bunch of shit for next year. I w- next year, I, I hope the the um, location of the conference changes the demographic. Uh, I also hope to see a lot more like like non academic uh, like folks who are doing gender work at the conference um, next year. So yeah, that was my NWSA experience. I won't say too much more because. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I kind of want to write some uh, emails, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I am a concerned. (laughs) All right, y'all, I'm going to move it on along to the Curve Chronicles segment. And the Curve Chronicles is where I talk about my dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins. You can send me your... Curve Chronicles over at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or just send it to me in the DMs. I'm there. Um, I, I have been getting curved all around here. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's because like I'm, I'm a pretty direct person. So I don't do well with ambiguity, you know, like not knowing what's happening or just like spinning in my thoughts around like, Oh my gosh, she said this to me. Like, oh, they looked at me this way. Should I think that they mean this or what? I don't, that is too much, too much for me. So I ask things direct, directly, right? I'm just like, so just to be clear, like, 
was that flirty? Was that, you know, so I think that has led to me getting like very, like lots of curves in the past uh, two weeks. But those are very fresh and I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> I don't want to talk about them on a hot mic. Whew. Um, they're just too fresh. So maybe I'll give, give some time between all those curved experiences uh, <laughs> and the today of things. Uh, before I talk about those, but I did want to talk about this tweet that I posted on my IG story that I got a lot of responses to, and the tweet uh, currently has um, like 33,000 likes, so I feel like uh, it went viral. Um, <laughs> is that like a hit tweet? Um and a lot of people found it relatable. So the tweet is, um, Chai on Twitter writes, <clears throat> I'm going to do a dramatic reading of the tweet. <clears throat> Every sapphic I know has had an intense, visceral, borderline homoerotic friendship with a girl that ended either very badly or very abruptly and changed the entire trajectory of their lives. What's up with that? <laughs> and I'm here on Queer Walk today to tell y'all relatable content. I logged in to all of my Twitter accounts to like that tweet. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> so, like many of us, it seems... <laughs> I, too, have had a intense, visceral, borderline homoerotic friendship with a girl that ended abruptly and changed the trajectory of our lives. <laughs> um, so, picture it. Syracuse, 2020. <laughs> it's a pandemic. Um, I have been really close with this person. For, like, the entire school year, that year. Like, I think we had met briefly in the summer. I, sh I should probably give her, like, a fake name. Because it's going to... I'm going to get annoyed. Keep saying her, she, her, she. Um, her, she. Mm. <laughs> Let's call her Maple. Like the tree. Because I'm just looking at my granola. Uh, <laughs> so, Maple. So, um, me and Maple, I think we met that summer, like briefly in passing, but then we got really close during the school year because of like all the things that were happening on campus. Um, yeah, there was like a lot of student organizing efforts. Uh, these white boys had called like a strike of grad students, but then didn't like organize the strike. They just like called it. And, you know, us believing that a strike is a very, like, effective, but also, like, supposed to be the end of the line as far as, like, escalation tactics to get what we needed as grad workers. Um, me and Maple got really close um, trying to sort through that and work through that. Um, I spent plenty of nights, like, stressing about writing my dissertation, and Maple was, like, stressing over what was happening in her program, and, you know, like, all the anti-blackness going on over there. We would watch movies together. I would take a 
breaks at work and we would have lunch together. Um, we were just really close that entire year. Like, so close. Like, people, like, I remember one time Nikita was like, where you at? Are you home? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, you at Maple House. I'm like, yeah. That's how close we were that year, <laughs> right? Like, Ugh. And we lived walking distance from each other. So when we weren't at each other's houses, we would like meet in the middle at this coffee shop. Um, it was just it was just a very like up and stuck friendship. Like, like we met and we got and we became really close. I can't I can't speak for her. I don't I don't know how she ever felt about me. Um, and she was also partnered. Um, but. I definitely know that at times it felt, it felt like way closer than friendship to me. It felt like, are we, like, is this, is this a date? Are we, are we flirting? Like, do we, do we like each other? Is this what's happening? (laughs) I remember us going out to eat one time with like a group of our friends uh, after one of these organizing meetings that had just went way too long and maple was like eating food off of my plate and all of our friends were like oh <laughs> and we and we were kind of like what y'all talking about no no because <laughs> I don't know if this is a thing for y'all <laughs> but in my my neck of the woods nobody is eating off your plate unless this is like your boo, you know, like, uh, or your child. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we didn't, we, we wasn't, we wasn't a share food. This is not like, I'm going to order some appetizers. You order some appetizers and we all eat. That was not the case. Right. Um, yeah. And I remember Maple having like these conversations with her partner that to me felt like, what are you doing with money? Like, what is this? Um, yeah, and that was always awkward. (laughs) I felt, I felt like he tried to flex on me like a few times about how well he knew her and how she would never be with anybody else. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) look at you and look at me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. There were really crunchy times that weren't fun because we were so intense in a friendship um, that at times definitely felt closer than friendship, um, or more erotic than friendship. (laughs) Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm about to explain this sensation. And if y'all can relate, please reach out to me and share in this like cold, cold misery. (laughs) But, um, one of the ways I know that I have a crush on somebody is if like, we touch and I feel really hot in that place where they're touching me. So what I mean is like, if our legs are touching, suddenly it feels like my leg is on fire. Like <laughs> I can't explain it. Or like if, if, um, if our hands touch, my palms will start to sweat, you know, it was just whatever part of my body that is touching, it just feels like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm about to spontaneously combust. And I think having that feeling several times with her, I was like, okay, 
this feels like a little bit more than a friendship to me. I feel like if if you wanted to, have we could we could change the world. <laughs> um, yeah. But then, um, the pandemic hit. We had some like you know outside hangouts. Uh, when the pandemic hit, but very early pandemic, she found out she was pregnant. Um, and, uh, I was like, okay, dope. Cause I knew this was something that she really wanted. And so I was really excited for her, you know? Yeah. So when she found out she was pregnant, I wanted to like go on walks like during, uh, early, this is early y'all. This is like maybe May of 2020. So I'm like, oh, let's meet up at the park. Let's put a mask on. Let's go walking. And um, I think she had found out something about the pregnancy that kind of made her a little nervous. And so she called me, we talked about it. And I was like, um, well, you don't know something is wrong until you know something is wrong. So let's not worry about it now. Let's go for a walk. And, like, she really blew up. She was like, this feels dismissive. Like, do you know how serious this could be? Um, and now you're inviting me on a walk to, like, <laughs> be outside in a pandemic to threaten the life of myself, myself and my children, right? And so um, I was just like, this is a lot. Okay, let's, like, end this conversation, basically. I was like, both of us. I feel I felt really taken off guard and when I feel taken off guard I'm I match energies. I'm like, what the fuck you yelling at me for? You know <laughs> like that kind of thing. I'm like, um, this stress feels misplaced. Uh so I was like, I think before before it escalates anymore, like I think we should just like end this conversation, get off the phone. And that's the last time I ever heard her voice or spoke to her <laughs> like we exchanged text messages after that where she said she felt like I didn't show up for her in the way that she thought I would with this pregnancy and I remember responding like you have a partner I I, I don't know how else as a friend I was supposed to show up uh, for you in this moment what were you expecting from me I think it also felt kind of weird to me because I know like a uh I <sighs> I have felt like I've been in a lot and by a lot I mean like three but <laughs> I feel like I've been in a lot of um situations where like queer women who are married to men will like have these intense emotional relationships with me in ways that feel like I'm kind of their girl girlfriend, but it never gets sexual and they never explicitly say that they're like attracted to me, but it definitely has all the markers of dating somebody, you know, um, that has happened to me like a bunch of times. And so I think when Maple freaked out on me in that moment, about, like, her pregnancy and, like, possibly getting news about uh, something uh, being up with the pregnancy. 
I, I had just had it. I had had it with like queer women who are like living these like very hetero lives, like, you know, married to these men securely in houses, <laughs> you know, um, like at, at least if they're not being emotionally sustained, financially sustained in a marriage and I'm expected to do all the emotional labor, emotional care, uh, like all that stuff because their husbands are not. But also you're not saying to me, I think, I think I'm attracted to you or I think something is happening here that is more than friendship. So I'm just, I take all the risk in these situations. And so I think I was just kind of done with experiencing that. And so when she texted me that I wasn't being there for her in the way that she needed me to through this pregnancy, I was like, I'm not your man, boo. <laughs> I was very, I, 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 I did not give her my like usual self. I gave her my like, what you asking of me is like what you should be asking of the person that is also going to be parenting these children with you. Like, I'm your friend. That's what you said, right? Like, we friends, right? So as your friend, I'm going to be like, relax. Let's go on a walk. <laughs> and y'all, fast forward, there was nothing. There was nothing with the pregnancy. There was nothing with the pandemic. Like, everybody was fine. Everybody's all right. In the 2022 of things. Um, but we haven't spoken since then. Um, for a while, I was blocked. When I saw this tweet, I laughed because I immediately thought of her. And all my friends immediately thought of her too. They were like, oh yeah. Um, and I was blocked for a long time. But when I, when I tried looking for her page after seeing this tweet, I noticed I was unblocked. So I could see her page. Looks like she's living life. Things are great. Um, it also looks like all my friends still follow her and like her shit. And I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of side-eyeing them on that one, but it's okay. I don't, I don't expect people to pick sides between black women, but, um, yeah, that, that felt like, uh, that felt like a, a loss, you know? It's like at the beginning of a pandemic where like, I don't know what's happening, who knows who's going to make it out of this shit? You know, everybody was still watching Tiger King. And here I was losing a very close friend. Um, yeah, I think I kind of spiraled a little bit about it. I was very upset and I had nobody to talk to about it because we were locked down. <laughs> we were locked down. And so I was just left really missing her and also being really upset that I like that I felt more for her than a friend being that she, you know, was this married person. I, yeah, I think I kind of spiraled a little bit there after, um, losing that friendship. Um, so that tweet really hit <laughs> because I think after that, you know, that change in the trajectory of our lives, I think I, um, I'm just really hesitant to be friends with uh, with queer women who are married to men. Like, I, I just feel really hesitant about that. Because I'm just like, it has happened to me. 
three times. And the last time felt devastating because it was the beginning of a fucking quarantine. When I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't know if I was going to see anybody. And like this person who lives walking distance from me that I was spending nearly every day with just like totally cut me off. So I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'd like to think that uh, in the 2022 of things, I would respond differently if I did find myself in a really intense friendship again with a married uh, woman. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I think, you know, it might just reactivate all the stuff that I've experienced before. So, <sighs> when I posted it on my story, I said, I wish I wish her the best. I hope she's doing well. And I really do. Like, she, she was dope as fuck. And like, you know, in these, in these treacherous dating streets where... I hear conversations between queer women about like, like why would a femme date another femme or like who's the top and who's the bottom is, oh gosh, please. (laughs) It's like, um, sometimes I feel like it's going to be really hard to partner because I don't, I don't believe in any of that stuff, right? So, uh, so to meet somebody who also doesn't believe in any of that stuff, who doesn't think that gender presentation says anything about your, like, energy or what you prefer sexually, um, somebody who's, like, into the silly shit that you're into, um, yeah, who understands being the oldest child and, like, all the stuff that comes along... I don't know. It just felt like a really good friendship, like politically and socially until it wasn't. Um, Yeah. So if y'all have those uh, sapphic, intense, visceral, borderline homoerotic friendships that you want to commiserate with me about, um, hit me up over at Queer Walk Pod or just reach out to me and talk to me about it because... You know, the numbers on the screen say that a lot of us can relate to this. So. (laughs) All right, y'all. That is the episode. Uh, Make sure to catch me on all the things at Queer Walk Pod. Um, If you have a Queer Walk of the Week suggestion or a topic suggestion, or if you want to send me your story about your sapphic friendship that ended abruptly and broke broke your world um send it to queerwalkpod at gmail.com and i will catch y'all on the next episode this episode of queer walk the podcast was made possible thanks to the monetary contributions of joan giselle and laura who all became new patrons and also the community support of Hoodoo Plant Mamas. This episode was also made possible by the listeners of Overland Park, Kansas, Emeryville, California, and Jackson, Mississippi.